Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Mother's Day. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, give them a round of applause, you know, just at home there. Woo! They did such a good job. Miss Lisa and Mr. Donald left me some makeup here so I can get myself ready uh, for preaching today. Hey, I, uh, I am excited to be with you today. I'm excited for you. Actually, uh, yeah, I would say that's the way to say it. I'm, you're not with me as much as I'm with you. You've invited us into your home uh, to, to hang out with you this morning uh, or your car or wherever you happen to be right now. So thank you for uh, allowing us to be a part of uh, your worship experience, uh, just spending time with God this morning. So, hey, I am, uh, I've been doing a lot of thinking as far as this Mother's Day thing goes. And, 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 when, and I, have a great, I have a great mother, by the way. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, Lynn Spencer. Uh, I have a great mom. We've been very blessed. And my children have a wonderful mother as well. Uh, we are blessed as a family. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking about, though, is as a parent, there's, there's some things that happen in our lives um, that, that I think something shifts when you start having children. Um, there's, and you can experience this in marriage or a deep relationship, but not nearly as much as you may experience it if you are uh, just, just related to someone. But when you become a parent... The care and concern and compassion that you have for your children is a whole lot different. It goes to a, another level. And, and as a parent, there's nothing worse than seeing your child suffer in some way, if a child gets hurt. I remember um, when Ella was a little, she was probably three years old, and she, in the middle of the night, she rolled out of her bed, and we heard her, uh, we, we heard a big thump. I remember it very distinctly hearing kunk, uh, and she was our only kid at that time, those noises as of being a first parent, and the things that you hear, and then there, there's all the concern and all the rush, and we heard, we heard her hit the floor, uh, or something hit the floor, and assumed it was her, and, and we ran in to see uh, what was going on. She's crying. She's kind of, she's, she's panicked. She's, she's screaming in the dark. We got the light turned on and she's just fearful. And, and I remember we, we just kind of held her and, and, and it just hurt to watch what was happening with her. It just, it, 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 as a parent, my heart went out for her. The, we got her calmed down, but you could tell that she wasn't okay. The next day we took her, ended up taking her to the emergency room and she had a broken collarbone. And I remember as a parent, uh, them strapping that little harness around her and putting her arm in a cast and, and my heart just broke for her as they were playing with that, that bone trying to get things in place and everything else and make sure it was all right and she's just crying. And, 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 and then I thought back to at that moment I began to think about how my dad and my mom when I was growing up, when I was a, a teenager I had a couple, uh, a, a couple surgeries that I had to go through and, and they were a whole lot of pain and, and I remember my mom and dad just telling me several times, if there's anything that we could do to take your place, we would rather experience that pain, that suffering, than have you go through that. And that became very real as, as I remember what it, what it was like there with my daughter. 
There's great lengths that a parent would go to to keep their children away from suffering. You remember those movies? Do you ever see the, the Liam Neeson Taken movies? Do you remember any of those? I'm going to put this away because I think it's broken, so I'm going to tuck that down in there. There we go. This is, we got some interesting live shots this morning, don't we? Uh, it's been a fun morning. Um, anyway, so I'm telling you, this, those movies, those Taken movies, and you might know this phrase, and I don't remember, so don't, don't let me be like, Pastor Rob says a good family movie. I didn't say that. I don't remember all of them, so I can't vouch for it at the moment. But I do remember this line in the movie. I, I remember that, that his daughter got kidnapped, and the, the, the kidnappers called on the phone, and he says, I have a particular set of skills. Uh, and it was uh, like he's threatening these guys, like, and he did have a particular set of skills. And then it gets into Taken 2 and Taken 3, and, and it's kind of the same thing as he's going after. And I start thinking to myself, you know, as a parent, you might have a problem. One time this happening would have been pretty bad, but you might want to preemptively think about what you're doing. No matter how good your skills are to recover, you might want to think about what's happening on the front side. If this happens in your family three times, there's something wrong, parent. Uh, but anyway, so it was an interesting movie. But the point of that is, this thing, parents go to great, great, great lengths to keep their children safe, right? And we find ourselves here today in John chapter 4, a story of a father, a story really of a family in crisis, an issue that's taken place, something that's going on here that, that, that we are brought into the middle of this story. And, and if you step back and take a broader look then of what is actually happening at this time, Jesus has really made an entrance into his earthly ministry. He's not, he's not quiet anymore. There were years and years and years that he was kind of just doing his thing around it, whatever his thing was at that time. And wouldn't you love to be, get a glimpse into those years as well of what that was? But it's, it's, it's not in there for, for, for some reason, and we just trust God in that. But what we have now is Jesus, after that first miracle in, in, in Cana, where he turned the water in the wine, first public miracle that he had done, he is now on the scene. It wasn't just that one, but Jesus found himself, not found himself, but made his way down to Jerusalem uh, for Passover. So all the, uh, most of the Jewish people at that time would, would if they could, travel to Jerusalem, and, and, and they would experience Passover together. So we see even in, in I think, chapter 2 or uh, so, verse uh, 21 or 22, Three maybe. Um, I'm, I'm guessing because I don't want to look, but now it made me want to look. Verse, chapter 2, verse 23, and it talks over and over again about um, uh, throughout this passage that Jesus had done many miracles. So he had come storming really onto the scene and said, okay, I'm here. I'm Jesus. I'm different than anyone you've ever met, and, and, and I've got a, a mission, and I know what I'm here for, and Jesus begins to do miracles. So you imagine the word, okay, spreading around that here's Jesus, this, this guy that was relatively unknown besides in his hometown, now here's this guy and, and he's doing miracles. He's not only miracles, but he's teaching and he's commanding authority and he's challenging people. And, and everyone around begins to spread the word. And as Passover ends, everyone spreads back out to their hometowns and the word's going with them into those areas all around that Jesus is on the scene, that there's someone new here and they're doing incredible, incredible things. 
So you see in John chapter 4, verse 42, Jesus had, had made his way in, to Samaria, and, and he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He has this encounter with her. She tells everyone that who Jesus was. She runs and tells, Jesus has changed my life. Jesus is this prophet. Jesus is incredible. Jesus, the Messiah. And, and, and then in verse 42, I just love this verse. It says, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word that's being spread about Jesus, the Savior of the world. It's being spread. They know it's happening, and they know Jesus is on the scene, and they know he is different than anyone they have ever met before. So now let's pick up in, in John chapter 4, verse 43. It says, At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown, yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen the things he had done there, everything he had done there. So again, back to he was doing all these miracles. People were astounded and amazed at what Jesus was up to. So here we are. Verse, um, uh, where are we at? Verse 46. He traveled through Galilee. He came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So verse 46, or verse, yeah, verse 46 enters this parent. So the parent comes on the scene, And you kind of have to take a step back out of Scripture just for a second to, 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 to just step away just from the verse a little bit to get a broader perspective of what actually is happening here. Because we can just read this through like a lot of other stories that we read and just kind of we got the details, we know the gist, but we don't really think about what's happening. So first for you, I want to set the scene geographically for what's going on there just so you kind of understand what's happening. And, and I could throw up a map and I I could show you, you know, Jerusalem and Galilee and all the towns and stuff, but it doesn't ever seem to even quite get us an understanding or a full picture. So let me paint a picture for you as though we are here in our location. So think of Stanton where Jesus as where Jesus is right now in this story. He's in Cana. So think if Stanton were Cana and think Galilee is like Augusta County, okay? It's a the broader region there. And and don't look me up on all the distances and miles here. I, I'm not real sure about that one, but um, I'm telling you. So just think Stanton here, okay? And then think Jesus came from Jerusalem. So think Lynchburg, okay? Those miles are about accurate. Somewhere down in there, Amherst, between Amherst and Lynchburg, here's Jesus, and, and he came from Lynchburg, and, and he comes up, and he travels up to Stanton. Now, that's about, oh, 80 miles, something, something along those lines, 70 miles, something, something there, okay? And now, this guy that we have this father, Jesus is in Cana in Stanton, this father is in Capernaum, which is 
think Weir's Cave, about 16, 20 miles, something like that from Stanton. So this is a distance. Now, if I were to say to you, hey, I'm going to run up to Weir's Cave, or I'm going to run down to Lynchburg, you wouldn't think, oh, that's not that far, because we jump in a car, right? And we're there. Some, we have some people that travel to church on Sundays from Amherst. We have some people that come from Weir's Cave, and they attend church here in Stanton. So it's not, it's not that big of a deal, really, but you think of there aren't cars, there aren't really nice roads, nothing as plush as the Stanton Mall parking lot during those times, you know. Uh, it's not as nice as that, but the roads are rough, the, the, and, and, and there's, you know, they could travel by donkey or horse or something like that or camel, but, but really what we're looking at is most people traveled on foot. And so to walk 20 miles is, is about the average of what someone might be able to walk in a day. Like may, maybe 20 miles, eight hours. You know, you could, you could knock that out uh, at, a, at a fairly decent clip. So now you get a picture of what's actually happening here as this Jesus is traveling from Jerusalem and he comes to Cana, he's coming up through Galilee, comes to Cana, and you've got this man in Capernaum who's about 16 miles away now or so from Jesus, but that's, a, that's about a day's journey away, and he hears that Jesus is in the area. Imagine as a parent now, put yourself in the shoes of this parent. Think, moms and dads, of your son or daughter, your child is sick, and they're dying. And you begin to understand the great lengths that a parent might go to in order to get their child help. So, so, so you've got a parent now who, who is at home in Capernaum. They start hearing news because they've tried everything else for their son. They've tried to go take him to the doctor. They tried anything else they knew of, and their child is still dying. He's on his deathbed. Okay, and, and, and we get into this, and, and it says these two simple words in verse 47. It says, uh, when he heard, when that nobleman heard, that father heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went. And in these two simple words, he went, there is packed so much emotion and so much drama, so much stress, so much determination, so much uh, love of a, pa- a, a, a parent, so much compassion of a parent. In these two simple words, he went. He went. Think of this in this way. I, I remember, I'll tell another Ella story. Uh, and, and I remember Ella's a little older. We were living in Waynesboro at the time. And, and she's sitting in the room with me. Uh, she's like, what are we going to talk about? Um, and, and Ella was goofing around, and she was in the gymnastics and stuff, and she was trying to do handstands and putting her feet up on the wall. And so, so she gets down, and we're just kind of sitting in the living room. She's goofing around. She flips her feet up onto the wall, hits the wall at the feet, with her feet, and then flops over. And, and it was like, oh, that's nothing really wrong with that. But she seemed to, in her hitting the wall, shake my guitar loose that was leaning against the wall. So my guitar starts slow. It's like those slow motion things where you look at something and you go, no. You think back of it in your mind like, could I have done something? Could I have stopped that? But you just feel helpless and you're watching something take place in this guitar. And, it, you know, to be honest with you, my first thought is that, uh, you know, is, oh no, my guitar's falling. I wasn't thinking really about my daughter underneath of it, um, but just, just real moment here. But anyway, the guitar falls over. The tuning peg of the guitar hits Ella, what we thought was in the eye. 
and, and it, it nailed her in, in the face, and, and immediately, it was like instantaneous gusher, you know, and boom, blood's flowing, and she's crying, and she grabs her eye, and all you see is blood running from underneath of her eye, and, and I'm like, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly, and Kelly comes in the room, and Ella's like, ah, and she's screaming, and she's crying, and, and we don't know what to do, we're, you know, okay, we got to help her, we got to do something, Kelly's like, let's get a rag, get something, and and, and in the meantime, we know this is not something that we're probably going to fix. We thought we're looking for her eye on the floor. Like, what's going on? Because we can't see it. And she's just like, oh, like, move your hand. Oh, was, and she's, she's crying, and we're frantic, and we're panicked. And, and we get, you know, Kelly's like, take her, to the, take her to the hospital. Take her to the emergency room. And we got a rag over her eye, and, and, and we're, I'm trying to get her into the car. We get her there, and we go. And if you would have asked me the story the next day, what would I have said? I said, Ella got hurt, and we went to the emergency room. Those two words, we went or he went, do not describe the emotion. Imagine your child dying, and you've tried everything that you could do as a parent to help your child, and it's just not working. And there are no answers, and they're dead. And then and, and they, you know death is coming to them. And then you hear of a man. And, and he's in Jerusalem, and you think, that's a long way away. I don't know if I could ever get there. And by the time I get there, he might not be there anymore. And, and, and you heard that he, at one point, turned water into wine at Cana, which is just a, just a, a day's journey, and that's doable. And you could maybe get there if you heard he was coming, but he's not there anymore. And he's not around anymore. And then you hear he's down in Jerusalem and people are starting to come back from the Passover and they're saying, this guy was in Jerusalem and you should see what this guy can do. He was healing people. He was changing lives. And as a parent, you're thinking, this is it. This is the miracle that can take place. This is gonna be what our child needs. And you hear that he's coming up your way. He's back coming from through Galilee and he's coming into Cana. And you heard, I think he might be in Cana. Can you imagine the franticness of a parent that says, our child's dying, and all we got to do is get him to this guy. And your wife says, we can't take him. He might die on the trip. And she's packing her husband a bag, and she's saying, go get your help for our son. You need to get him help. And it's frantic in the home, and it's compassion of a parent. It's the love of a parent and a dad going over and hugging his child and saying, I might not ever be back. I might not ever see you again. You may never see me. You may die while I'm gone, but son, I love you. I care for you and a mother tearfully pushing her father her husband out the door saying go get help he went he went to two words full of emotion and he begged Jesus he says come to Pernium to heal my son who was about to die. And Jesus, with all the compassion that we think he should have, looks this man in the eyes, this desperate father, and says, Will you never believe me unless you see miracles and signs and wonders? 
That's not the answer we were expecting, right? Like that, uh, that seems heartless. You know, that seems cold. You, you remember Jesus' answer to his mother that we talked about turning water into wine? Uh, you know, his mom's like, Jesus, there's an emergency. This party's falling apart. This man's going to be disgraced. If you haven't watched that sermon, jump back a couple weeks and watch it. Also, watch Pastor Mark's sermon from last week. Great message. Um, it, catch up on the series if you're just tuning in. But I'll tell you, this story, there's so much packed into this. And, and Mary turns to her son and says, son, we're out of wine. This whole thing's the party's falling apart. This guy's going to be disgraced. I need you to step in here. And Jesus, with compassion his heart turns to his own mother on Mother's Day and says, woman, what's this have to do with me? These aren't the answers that we're expecting. We've got, we've got Jesus so often in this kind, compassionate, meek position. But what I love about Jesus and what you learn about the heart of Jesus Christ is he knew why he was here. He knew he had purpose here. He knew he had a mission here, and it was very specific. It wasn't to bring temporal satisfaction to people's circumstances. He was on a mission, not of situational salvation, but of eternal salvation. And Jesus, in the midst of all that was going on in that man's heart at that moment, stepped in, And he didn't just heal, but he called the man to understand the miracle is not what brings salvation. It's the miracle maker that offers salvation. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, and we'll catch up to this a little bit more in a couple weeks, but... Jesus has all these people coming to him because they hear of all the things that he's doing. And he says to this crowd, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. That's very telling. Understood the miraculous signs. That there's a meaning beyond just what he is doing It goes way beyond that. And so many people want to uh, get frustrated, I'm sure, in those days and angry with Jesus. And even now, you're asking and you're crying out to Jesus to do a miracle in your life, but he's not giving you the answer that you expect, and it's making you angry, and it's making you frustrated. And Jesus, over and over again, seems to test the commitment or the faith of the Christ follower. You're following after me, but why are you following after me? Are you following me because you know that I have salvation, I have the power to save eternal salvation, or are you seeking me for situational salvation? You just want me to bail you out of a circumstance that you deem to be important. Well, you're missing what is most important. And Christ is not lacking compassion. He is testing commitment. If he were lacking compassion, you could even make the argument that he would just heal and ignore the eternal fruit. That he would bring situational salvation to someone and not tell them about the fact that he is the living water. That through him they will thirst never. 
that they will have eternal life if they trust in Him. And instead of just answering people, and sometimes He does, sometimes He just brings healing in the situation, and He knows, and I believe, certainly believe, and we know and read in Scripture that He is God, so He's got some intuition here. He knows what's going on, and He knows when to press in. He knows what to say. He knows when to act. He knows when to speak into someone's individual life. He knows today, believer, what you are praying for, and He knows what answer you need, and He knows when you need it and if he chooses not to give you your situational salvation he may be pressing in to make sure that you understand he is more interested in eternal salvation and belief in the power of a miracle is not the same as belief and trust in God We have to understand that because in this instant, it's important right here to understand that this is a condition to the miracle. Jesus is saying, this guy said, we saved my son, and he stops him, and he says, hey, do you, do you believe in me or do you believe in the miracle? And the, the right answer would result in a miracle. The wrong answer, I believe, would result in no miracle. It's situational here. That Jesus is calling for a response. And many people are in a crisis. You want a miracle to happen, but you don't trust the miracle maker. You want to be saved, but you don't trust the Savior. You just want your circumstance to be through. And maybe it's not your circumstance. Maybe it's someone else's circumstance that you're praying for. And maybe you want them to be relieved from that issue that they're facing, that crisis that they're in. So you're praying to God and you're crying out for God to do a miracle, but you're asking for God to change their situation, not to change their life. Not to bring them eternal commitment. So sometimes we're going through a mess and God's allowing people to go through a trial in order to open their eyes to see that he deserves to be glorified and honored. And if they were just pulled out of the situation automatically that they're in, then they would never trust the miracle maker. They would just trust that a miracle could come. And their focus isn't on Christ. So no matter what miracle you're looking for on this earth, you have to realize that God's agenda is first not our temporal health. God's first agenda is not our financial stability. God's first agenda is not your comfort. And it's not someone else's financial stability. It's not someone else's comfort. It's not someone else's physical health. The purpose of signs and wonders is primarily to reveal the glory and power of God, not to bring earthly comfort, but to establish eternal healing. Listen to that, because we can't miss it. When we're praying for God to do great things, we have to understand the premise in which God is desiring. He said, you don't seem to understand what the signs were about. You're looking for temporal satisfaction, and I'm trying to give you eternal satisfaction. The purpose of signs and wonders is primarily to reveal the glory of God and the power of God, not to bring earthly comfort, but to bring eternal healing. 
eternal healing. That's what God's trying to bring us to. And in verse 49 and 50, let's read on a little bit here. I've got my Calvary Baptist Church mug here this morning. Thank you, Calvary. They have nice mugs. I don't know if you ever uh, stop by there some morning when they're open and get a visitor's mug. A little shout out. Anyway, uh, stay for church too while you're there. Don't just get a mug, you know. Stick around. All right, so anyway, verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 49, there we go. So Jesus in verse 48, just to catch you up because I jumped around out of the story here. You will never believe, will you never believe unless you see uh, in me, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. So verse 49, the official pleads, he says, Lord, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. What just happened? Because God asked a or Jesus asked a question here, and the guy didn't really even seem to address it, right? He's just like, he repeats the same thing he said before. Or did he? Or did he? There's, there's, there's something we need to look at here. There's one word that changes everything in his approach. The word Lord. Some, some versions of the Bible say sir. And I'm just telling you that does not cut it. That's not actually what's there. The word is Lord. Kurios is the word in the Greek. And, and it's used over and over again for this term Lord. And, and what this is is master. The owner of. The word itself invokes respect, admiration, reverence. And this is a nobleman, a noble official, or, or, or a government official, and he had servants under him. This is who's coming to Jesus. He understood, and he may at some point have had some of his servants call him Lord. This term of respect to him. And this guy now, after he comes and he says the name of Jesus, which we know is a powerful name in the name of Jesus, but in that day, that was his name. His name was Jesus. So he comes to him the first time, and he, and, and he says, Jesus, I, I need you to heal my son. Come with me. And Jesus says, you'll never believe me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders. And now the official steps back, and he realizes what Jesus is saying. And he starts over again, and he says, Lord. Lord. And in that word, what he is proclaiming, is that he is in submission to Christ. That he realizes Jesus just isn't a teacher. Jesus just isn't some guy from Galilee. Jesus just doesn't have some magic power or some do some cool tricks or, or some kind of other thing. There's more to Jesus than any of us could ever realize or know. And in that time, that guy just reaches out through his words to Christ and bows before him as Lord and Master and Savior. He submits himself to Christ and he says, Lord, my Master, 
master over all. I submit myself to you and I'm asking you and I'm pleading you because you have power that is unknown to anyone else. I submit myself to you. Will you come and will you heal my son? Two words. He went. One word. Lord. The smallest of words have the power to change our situational circumstance and bring eternal salvation. In Matthew chapter 8, there's a similar story, but with some big differences. Let me just read it real quickly to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, so now there's a story and Jesus is in Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. He said, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him little different than the other story, right? And the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and, and my servant will be healed. Now, I'll stop there to say, why is this one so different? I, I, I want to draw your attention to this word, Lord, again. This Roman officer came to Jesus, and he started right off with not, hey, Jesus, Hey, guy from Galilee, hey, hey, guy from Nazareth, I heard you were a carpenter's son or something like that, but now here you are with all these cool tricks up your sleeve. Could you help me out? He starts with, Lord. He says, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed. He begins the conversation already proclaiming who he, that he knows who Christ is. That he knows Christ is greater than him. He's a Roman officer, and we get into it. And then Jesus said, well, I'll come heal him. And the guy understands even more greatly that he is such a Lord, such a God, such a Savior like no other, that he can do things that no one ever thought could be done. And the officer says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come, and if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. In verse 13, Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because... You believed, and it has happened. Faith. The faith of someone that approaches Jesus and begins with acknowledging who he is. Realizing that they've already submitted themselves to the Lord and Savior and Master. They already trust him. They already believe him. Even if he does nothing for them, they already know he has the power to do anything he says. So what happens in this story? The man believed what Jesus said and started home. Verse 51, And while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. 
He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And the father realized that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And listen, he and his entire household believed in Jesus. The way through the crisis is to trust who Christ is. He is Lord. How would you describe your faith? Are you just wanting a miracle to change your or someone else's temporal situation? Are you crying out to God and asking Him because you're afraid of the circumstances around you in this world? Or are you praying for God's glory and power to be revealed in order to affect eternal change in people's lives first? It's relatively easy for our temporal situation to change. Modern medicine can step in and drastically change a situation. The whole world seems to be on pins and needles right now waiting for a vaccine that can come out and then all of a sudden the fear's alleviated, the fear's gone, we can go back out in public, we can do our thing. Maybe you have cancer in your body. Maybe someone you love is affected with that and you're just waiting for the treatments to come through and, and there, can be, there can be temporal change that takes place. But a true Lord, the true master, the one who is above all, he's the only one that has the power to effect eternal change. That every one of us is ridden with sin. And sin is a disease, as Pastor Mark talked about last week, that will destroy our bodies and it will send our souls to hell. But Jesus Christ, the Lord, steps into the picture and through His death on a cross offers forgiveness of sins, a payment for sins, and eradicates sin and allows eternal healing to take place in our bodies so that we can spend eternity with Him. He's not the Lord of situational salvation. He's the Lord of eternal salvation. In the purpose of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that Jesus did and is still doing today are ultimately to point people to eternal salvation. So where's your faith? What are your prayers? Are you calling Him Lord because you want to see a temporal change? Or are you calling Him Lord and crying out to Him? And first, the only thing that matters to you is your eternal condition. The only thing that matters of why you're praying for others begins primarily to be about where their soul is going to spend eternity. Jesus knew His purpose. He knew His focus. He knew why He was here, and He didn't allow people's fixation on situational salvation to affect his direction and his true purpose, which is to point us to eternal salvation that only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's your crisis? 
How are you trusting Christ to get you through that crisis? The eternal crisis comes first. We begin to turn our hearts and our eyes to Him there. Let me...